the, uh, I was going to say the kids, the youth um, went to uh, this retreat in uh, Kona a few weeks ago, and um, it's the second year uh, they have gone, <clears throat> um, and it's just, uh, it's called a commission camp, youth from, <coughs> excuse me, all over uh, go just to uh, meet the Holy Spirit and to get guidance for their lives. That, that's for their future. That's basically what the camp is. Uh, and our youth um, have loved it, and uh, you hear rumors about it, so we thought we'd just have uh, a couple of uh, the teens uh, who went come and share with you uh, what the Lord did for them while they were at the camp. Um, because... Um, we're doing our own camp in uh, a few weeks at Camp Homolani. And as usual, the youth are way ahead of us. And uh, so in some sense, I think this is going to be a, a preview of stuff to come. So we got John. We got Sophie. Um, they, uh, they had some dealings with the Lord. Uh, John, why don't you, uh, you start? And I just want to say, if you guys do well enough, then I'll just have you do the sermon. They're, uh, they're really rooting for you. What's up? I'm John, and I'm going to give my testimony of Kona Camp. So when I first came to Kona Camp, it was probably the enemy, but for the first couple of days, my faith actually began to decline. Like, I was seeing people get healed. I was seeing miracles at camp, but it felt like I wasn't seeing God moving in my ordinary life, and like I expected him to. And I'd been trying to connect with the Lord. I don't know if I was doing a really great job, but I felt like... He also wasn't showing up in that. So I actually began to feel a little discouraged for the first few days. On the third day, uh, I got the chance to talk to Connor and tell him kind of what I was going through. And then I got some advice from him. And he basically said that I don't have to try so hard to uh, pursue God and that I don't have to follow other people's ways of, like, connecting with God. I can just, like, find him in my own way. So I was encouraged from that. And... Uh, I decided to keep trying to go for the Lord. On about the, first, on about the fourth day, uh, we had this, this training seminar where we got to learn about like, how to powerfully connect with God, how to like, praise Him in your own time, and like, just like, talk to Him and stuff. And so at the end of the session, we got a chance to try and, try and like, put that to practice. So we got like 15 minutes to try and connect with the Lord. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try for this. I'm just going to just praise the Lord. So I was just like praising the Lord. And all of a sudden, I, I saw uh, this picture of this tiny sailboat sailing out of Alamoana Harbor, like out into the deep blue ocean. And I kind of felt like it was the Lord telling me that, like, I might feel unprepared or uh, like small, unready for the deep ocean, but that I should just go for it and that he'll kind of have my back. So I was like, Okay. I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> and then so I was like, okay, God just talked to me. That was pretty cool. And that same night was the Holy Spirit night. So that was when we got to try and encounter the Holy Spirit. And I got to see a lot of people get hit with the Holy Spirit. Like people were like spazzing out in front of me because they got hit by the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. So I was like, okay, that's pretty undeniable evidence that God is real. So I was like, all right, God's real. Uh, going to go for him. So uh, for the rest of camp, I began to go more for God and just like learned a lot of lessons about him and how to do good work for him. And coming out of camp, I, I began to realize more that God might not be exactly moving in the way I expect him to, but that doesn't mean that he's not moving. And so I learned that lesson. And yeah, I just became more on fire for God. So now, uh, in this current day, I want to pursue him more and maybe do something for him in the future. Yeah. So, uh, in, the, in, the mi in the middle of camp, uh, somebody sent me this video of you standing up in front of 400 people and preaching. What was that about? Oh, yeah. 
one of the lessons was <laughs> preaching the gospel, <laughs> and we got practice, and they so you, like. You, they asked for a volunteer. Yeah. So. Soph. Okay, so come over here. Come over here. So I'm Sophie, and then my experience at Kona Camp was um, so we had the Holy Spirit baptism night, where basically if you wanted to get baptized by the Holy Spirit, you could go up to like the front of the um, the sanctuary. So then I was kind of nervous to go up, but then one of my friends she was like, "Okay, let's just let's go up. Let's go right in the front." So I was like. Oh, okay, let's, let's go then. And then, so then, at first, I didn't really know what to do, and I was kind of nervous. I was like, because um, one of the guys who was preaching Frenchie, he was, like, telling us, like, kind of what happened to him, and I got kind of nervous. So then I didn't really know what to do. So then I kind of just, like, stood there for a little while, and then I decided, okay, I'm just going to, like, worship because they had, like, worship going on. So I was just worshiping, and then all of a sudden, I just started, like, crying, like, I didn't know why. I just started to cry, and I, like, cried a lot. And then I slowly kind of, like, was shaking, and then, like, I got stiff, and I kind of, like, went to the floor, and I was just crying. I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And then people, like, came, and they prayed for me, and they gave me words. And then after that, I felt I felt better after, like, they came and prayed for me. And then um, as they were um, praying, I was, like, just kind of shouting out to the Lord. And as I was doing that, all of a sudden I was shouting and then like I didn't know what I was saying. Like I was kind of just saying random things. So then I think like it was like gibberish. Like I couldn't really understand what I was saying, but I was saying something. And then I kind of started speaking English again. So then that was um, kind of interesting and I was kind of <laughs> nervous after that. And then, um, yeah, I just like um, was just crying and um, like, um, yeah, it was just kind of uh, really um, intense and um, like emotional. So then afterwards, my friends were like, "Are you okay?" Like, cause like I guess I was crying and laughing. So they're like, "Oh my gosh, are you drunk? Like, are you okay? Like, are you good?" And I just was there a lot of drinking at camp? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we didn't drink at all, so it's like uh, okay. And then good. after good. that, I mean. This experience really changed me. I feel like after that, now I can feel like I call God like Father. Like I have this new relationship with him because after that, like he's real. Like I could see like people on the floor, like shaking and everything. Like I felt it too. Like now I really know like he's real. And then um, another thing that happened was I don't really see it, but then my youth pastor, Connor, said that he saw like a new confidence in me, like the way I talk, the way I the way like I like held myself, I guess he saw like a new confidence, which is really cool. And then um, after uh, I came back, so I got really sick for a week. So then I was kind of like discouraged. I was like, oh, okay, I'm sick. Like I didn't feel good at all. And my cousins were actually in town. And I, when I was at camp, I felt like the Lord wanted me to minister to them because their family is not um, Christian. So then I, I did with my cousin. So at camp, they taught us like how to minister to the gospel. So then I used that um, with my cousin, and he actually accepted Christ. So like, so, so that was really cool and really interesting. And then just now, I feel like I just have to um, ask and learn how to just keep ministering to him. Good job, guys. Shall I let them preach the sermon then? Yeah. All right, there, there you go. No? Second service. Second service, you preach this one. What are the five things that you share? The five finger gospel is like you use your five fingers to kind of tell uh, the story of the gospel. So the first one, I think it's like, it's like the thumb, right? Oh, creation, like green thumb. Uh, pointer finger, like we messed up, pointing at us, like we turned away from God. Uh, 
the middle finger, which is like eternal separation from God and like a ruined relationship with him. <laughs> you got, and then, and then, but things take a turn for the better because uh, we look at the ring finger, which represents the new promise that, or, or the new uh, covenant that God can have with us, like a new relationship God can have with us because Jesus died under the cross for our sins. If we turn to him, then we can have that relationship with him. And the final one, which is the pinky, pinky promise, for God promised to, like, forgive us of our sins and, like, to have a relationship with us if we turn from our sins and pursue him. So that's the Good job, guys. Thank you. Have a seat. Uh, great testimonies generally. What's really cool about listening to, um, you know, the, the young teens share stuff like that is that their, uh, their language is so um, plain, right? It's just like, I didn't know what was going on, uh, but God did this, and this is how I felt, and this is what it did, and um, no posturing whatsoever. Um, and it just sort of testifies to the truth of the experience. Uh, those of you who have been around the kingdom for a while recognize uh, that the, the truths that they were sharing, the experiences that they were describing are things that you read about in scripture. Um, but um, uh, they've been having for 2,000 years, right? Um, but when the kids share about it, it just seems so fresh and, and um, genuine, doesn't it? So, Father, I pray that uh, our experience of you would be eternally fresh and genuine. I pray, Father, that, um, that you would put new language in us uh, to express things boldly. Uh, I pray that you would put new visions in us to see ourselves truly and faithfully. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, here's a warm-up question uh, for you guys, if that wasn't enough. Um, warm-up question. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'll give you eight seconds to figure it out. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, there you go. Think. Are you ready? All right, let me know. What's your response? I have a few I have a few yeses. I have one, two thumbs up. Any other responses? For what? Ready for what? All right. Somebody answer, Kat. Ready for what? Yes. Okay, yes. <laughs> Sony's just ready. She has no idea, but whatever. For, ready for God to move. All right. Are you are you ready for God to move? Oh, yeah. Yeah, why? How come? Because um, he stirred it in you. Because he stirred it in you. He stirred it. What does that mean? Your, your spirit is responding to what God's doing, and your part is to not say no. So the presumption there being <clears throat> God is up to something, and you're just trying hard not to say no. <coughs> All right, somebody else have a response? That's pretty cool. Never ready. ready? What did you say? Never. Oh, John. Never ready. So you never quite feel ready? Is that what, is that what you mean? Ah, so you're on a path, so it seems like you're always progressively ready, perhaps, but you never feel like you have arrived totally into readiness yet. That's interesting. It's a good metaphor. All right, one more. Are you ready? GG. Ah. 
that Gigi says, if you couldn't hear, that when I first asked the question, the picture she saw was a, a, a runner on the start line, ready to run, ready for the, the gun to go off, poised for action. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. If you watch those sprints, the 100 or 200 meter, the process the runners go through for getting into the blocks and getting ready, way longer than the race, right? Um, the preparation is uh, far more ceremonial and complicated uh, than just, just running. That's interesting. Um, all, all great questions and great responses. You know, you can, makes me think of all these ancillary questions like, am I ready? Well, how do you get ready? Uh, ready for what? Well, um, God's stuff. But, um, you know, partly your answer depends on what you think God is doing, which is, I think, sort of insightful. Um, and how do we know what God is doing? Well, um, you have to be ready for something specific he's doing. We have to be ready for God to do anything. I mean, what does it mean to be ready? And, and I don't know. Um, but, but I was wondering that if I asked the question, like, are you ready, if no matter what other questions or confusions you might have, I wonder if, if you could just kind of look in your spirit and just sort of get a general gauge of your own readiness for things. You know what I mean? Like, are, are you able to tell just by sort of, I don't know, your own spiritual instinct how ready you are? Um, I think I have that instinct. And, um, and I've certainly been working on it for decades. Um, and sometimes I feel like, I'm, I'm desirous of change, but I'm not sure that's the same thing as ready, right? I mean, I'm not sure that dissatisfaction or even eagerness uh, means prepared for what the Lord wants to do. And, and, and the way I know this is because um, the Lord's always doing stuff or not doing stuff that I find terribly dissatisfying. Uh, you know, I feel like, wait, 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 <laughs> you're supposed to do this. You know, I was, ready for, I was ready for that, or at least I was hoping, I was desirous of that. Uh, you did not do it, so evidently I wasn't ready. You know what I mean? You ever had that experience? Uh, and so what I really want to be, I mean, I still desire things, and I would like the Lord to fulfill all of my desires. Um, seems like that's a reasonable thing for him to do, Right? Um, but I also just want to be ready uh, for what the Lord's doing because whatever he's doing would probably be fairly important and, and, uh, and good. Um, so I think being prepared is different than being eager. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. How many of you want a change in your life right now? How many of you can envision a change that you want? Right? Are you prepared for what change God wants to bring. Well, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Uh, but that's part of the Christian discipline. If I have described that well, maybe you get a feel for what I'm talking about. Jesus talked a lot about being ready. You know, he told parables about being ready. He told parables about uh, these 10 maidens who uh, were waiting for the bridegroom to come to a wedding, which in his day was this huge social occasion. Weddings were immense. They involved the whole village. And some had oil in their lamp because you had to wait for the bridegroom in the middle of the night. And some didn't. Some ran out. Some were ready. Some were not. And Jesus likens that to, well, what he's really talking about there is, is when he returns. Some people are still going to be filled with faith. And some people, even though they intended to be, won't be, which is kind of sobering. Everybody was waiting, but only some were ready. Um, and he tells a story about masters and servants, one of his favorite parable illustrations. And he tells a, a story about a master who went away and some servants who were left in charge. That's us, by the way. And, uh, you know, when the master came back, had the servants done their job, right? You know, they were waiting for the servant to come back ostensibly, but were they on it when they came back? One of my favorite little buttons uh, people wear is, Jesus is coming soon. Look, look busy. Um, you know, and, but they had not really prepared the estate for the coming of the master. Uh, so that's about Jesus' second coming. That's about end of the age, however you want to think of that. He says, as in the days of Noah, so it will be when the Son of Man returns. Uh, in Noah's day, one guy was ready. <laughs> you know, and, and it took him 200 years. 
uh, to build that boat and endured a lot of ridicule and stuff like that. Jesus goes out of a way to make readiness sound a little bit difficult, you know, or at least he makes it sound like a lot of people will miss it. And that's, that's about the, the, the second coming. There was uh, other big events um, we have talked about in this sermon series on the kingdom of God, um, the coming of the Holy Spirit, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which our lovely teens uh, spoke about just a few minutes ago. And Jesus said, don't do anything in Jerusalem, but wait until you receive the gift my father promised. For in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so basically, they prayed together for 10 days in Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost, until the Holy Spirit came. So that was kind of a spiritual, a short season of spiritual leaning in, you know. And so when the Holy Spirit came, they received. Um, I, I shared, we were talking about the Holy Spirit in, in one of these sermons in this series. I shared about my first experience with the filling of the Holy Spirit uh, when I was in college, and, and I had asked some friends about, about it, and I wanted to get them to pray for me to receive the Holy Spirit. One of my friends said, well, you have to prepare. Uh, you, have to, you have to fast. He told me all these things, actually not in Scripture, but, but I was into it. You know, I did it anyway, so I went a week without eating and, and just sort of tried to prepare myself that way. Fasting is a, a tried and true you know, tradition of all, all spiritual people, but certainly in Christianity as well. Jesus started his big ministry with a fast, right? 40 days uh, without eating. That experience stuck with me. And during times of my life when I really needed a change, where I really needed to see some sort of acceleration, something desperate, during desperate times of my life, I often go back to fasting. Not a great faster, right? I'm not really good at going long periods of time without eating. Um, not built for it, you know. Um, always been a low body fat kind of guy, um, and I've never, I've never made it for the full forty days. Um, I was thinking uh, this week about. Well, I'm thinking a lot about getting ready, preparing, needing change, and I'm, so I've been thinking about fasting. Um, I've never done a really long fast in my life that hasn't changed my life permanently. Right, which is an advertisement for fasting. Yay, who's excited? Um, well, I did this fast uh, back uh, after I'd, I'd, I'd been in academia for a lot of years, and I just sort of left that. And um, uh, my first job was with this software company. It kind of went bad. I really kind of got reamed, and it was really, really ugly. I felt like I'd sort of saved the company and then got treated super unfairly and then got fired from my trouble. Sonia was pregnant. We had a, a mortgage. Like It was just like this desperately bad situation. So I said, well, you know, I, I, I need a change. I need God to do something, so I'm going to fast. And so I just stopped eating. It wasn't a really long fast, you know, as fasts go. It was uh, less than two weeks. I remember the first 10 days, I lost 22 pounds. Yeah, fast metabolism. I suck at fasting. Super painful. And I just felt myself shrinking. And so every morning, this was in the middle of winter in Cape Ann, north of Boston. So it was like brutally cold, you know, brutally cold up there. And all these nor'easter storms come in and... And I, every morning I would take my dog and I'd go walk on Wingersheek Beach, uh, which is a terrible beach in Gloucester, Massachusetts. It's just all rocks, right? It's like just walking on these stones, these fist-sized stones. Um, yes, remember Wingersheek? Some friends who are with me there. <clears throat> and uh, I was out there one morning, I remember with my dog, and it was even too cold for Rocky. He just curled up in a ball, found a little dent in the beach and, and lie down, and I was walking along the beach doing my prayer walk. Um, and it just hit me what fasting does for me. When I fast, I don't feel like a spiritual giant. I don't even feel, what I, when I fast, it makes me want to shed, right? What, when I fast, I feel how ugly I am, because it makes me feel so crappy, for one thing. 
And I just want to get rid of stuff, you know. Ironic, because I'm sloughing off so much flesh when I fast. Uh, I feel weak, uh, but I just want to give more stuff away. That's what fasting does for me. It wants me, it makes me want to disencumber. And it occurred to me that the only thing fasting ever accomplishes in me is that it makes me malleable. Do you know what that word means? Shapeable. You know, at the end of, of 10 days, having lost 22 pounds, I'm so washed out I can barely think. Um, I feel like God could just sort of go, <laughs> just completely reshape my soul. That's what fasting does for me. Fasting doesn't bring any change to my life. You know, sacrifice doesn't bring any change to my life, except it makes my life poorer, right? Less encumbered, in a way. Um, doesn't bring any change, but it makes me prepared <laughs> in the sense that I would accept anything, right? Any food tastes good at the end of 20 days, you know really isn't a sermon about fasting. This is a sermon about preparation. Uh, I want to share a very brief story about the beginning of the kingdom of God on earth, the beginning of the good news of the kingdom of God on earth. I'm going to read from Mark 1, just the very beginning. We spent a lot of time in Mark 1 because it is the be it's the beginning of the Gospels. Uh, and I'm just going to read the first nine verses of the Gospel of Mark, the earliest of the Gospels although it comes second in the lineup. It was the first historically. So this is Mark 1, 1 through 9. Uh, it is uh, the beginning of the story of Jesus uh, in, in the Bible. And it features this guy called John the Baptist. Have you heard of him? Heard of him? The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, an Old Testament book, I will send my messenger ahead of you, and I will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. This is essentially a revival, mass revival. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. That's where I get my name. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. There's a fad. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's where that phrase comes from. John invented it. Baptism by the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan dot, 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 and the rest is history. Uh, but that's, that's the beginning of, of the gospel about Jesus Christ, as it says in the first line of uh, the gospel of Mark. In the beginning was preparation, is, is what, is what the, the Bible says. It starts with someone preparing the way. Um, and... Uh, the, the scripture here quotes from Isaiah, uh, which was a very famous prophecy among the Jews. It was a prophecy about someone who would come right before the Messiah comes, right before the, the promised hero comes. There will be a herald. There will be someone who shows up to prepare the way. Uh, the Isaiah verse, a, a little more complex, goes like this from Isaiah 40. Um, I want to read a couple of verses before it. Uh, this is God speaking to the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem, who have had a terrible time of it lately. They've been beaten up by invading armies, and they have been disciplined by God. And then Isaiah, in chapter 40 of his book, brings this prophecy to them. He says, comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. 
Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Ah, that would have sounded good. That her sin has been paid for. That's interesting. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Wow. She's been paid back twice in hardship what she did in sin. A voice of one calling. In the desert prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's the prophecy, and most Jews of Jesus' day would have known that prophecy by heart. Uh, there was a tradition in ancient Palestine, ancient Israel, all ancient Canaan, that when a very important person showed up to your city or to your village, you would scurry outside the boundaries and you would fix the road, right? Because roads weren't roads like they are today. They were basically paths in the dirt with potholes and stuff like that. So they would run outside and they would fill all the holes. And if a lot of trash or, or dirt had piled up, they would level it out. They'd take out their hose and they would chip it down so that as the entourage approached the city, you know, the king sitting on his wagon or his horse or something, they could just kind of smoothly come in. It would be really embarrassing if the important parade got to your city and then got stuck in a pothole, you know, and the band was playing and they'd have to repeat the song and repeat the song and stuff like that. And so this was a way to sort of smooth the coming in of the visiting dignitary, the visiting king. And so that was the tradition. And so God was saying, hey, somebody's going to show up, going to do this for the Messiah. Only John had an interesting way of doing it. He instituted a, a, a mass revival movement built around something he called the baptism for the repentance of sins. Uh, there's another version of this story in, 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 uh, in, in Matthew 3. Uh, we read even more details. What happens is that people will go out to the Jordan River, which is basically a muddy creek. It is not a beautiful river. Uh, and they go out to the countryside. People were coming in from the countryside, which means uh, probably even some non-Jews were coming. People that lived on the outskirts uh, were, I think, think hillbillies, right? Which is, an, you know, I don't know. Is that a slur? I don't know. Uh, but, you know, bumpkins. Is that better? Right? Yeah. But everybody from Jerusalem went out as well. So think Manhattanites, you know, like very sophisticated people. They all went outside uh, to the Jordan River, which was this big mud puddle. And, and John stood in the river, and they would confess their sins, which Jews didn't do. You know, that was not, that was not a thing. That's a thing today in the Christian church, but it was not a thing then. And then they got baptized, which um, ceremonial washing was kind of part of some of the Jewish uh, rituals, but you'd be kind of dunked in the river. No, I mean, that, that was not done. That was not something that religious Jews typically did. Um, it was a sign of being, you know, obviously washed from impurities. And this was all preparation, John said. Because pretty soon, somebody's come in who's way better than I am. And I've come up with this sort of water washing, confessing, and forgiving of sins business. Oh, yeah, that was the other part of it. They'd get forgiven for the sins that they confessed. They would essentially start over, right, which was like the, the ceremony. You wash, now you're clean. That's not how Jews got forgiven, right? There were sophisticated temple rituals for this. Once every year, they'd have a day of atonement where the priests who were like very well certified and they had to be born into certain families, the priests would lay their hands on a goat and commute all the sins of all the nation to the goat and then kick the goat out into the wilderness, which is where this revival took place, incidentally. And that was called the, well, the scapegoat. That's where we get that phrase. Um, you know, someone would, the goat would take the blame. That poor goat. And so John follows the goat out into the wilderness and said, let's do the forgiveness here, and let's do it personally, one-on-one. -on -one. That was all revolutionary. John kind of invented all of that stuff. And people were, like, super excited about it. There was something about it that made them feel that John was telling the truth, that one was coming. 
And, and, and John said that when he shows up, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Matthew says, in the Holy Spirit and fire. One is coming out. I baptize you with water, but one is coming after me who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. What does that sound like to you? Exactly. Have no idea what that means, right? Any more than like our teens would know what was happening to them when they went to a retreat and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And it's like, hey man, I don't know. I started shouting and then I realized it wasn't English. Uh, but, you know, one, can I just say Sophie? Sophie is not a shouter. <laughs> but she is now. Uh, Connor's like, yeah, I think you got bolder. She's like, oh, really? I don't know. No, sweetie, you got bolder. That's like, that's awesome. It's like, there's just change happening, you know, because she put herself in position. I don't know what it means to be baptized with fire, but it sounds interesting, right? And to be baptized with God, it sounds interesting. That, that's basically everybody was just in that ignorant position. I don't know, but I don't know what's coming, but I'm going to prepare. How? Don't know. Let's dunk in the river. Let's do that. And let's disencumber. Let's do that, right? Let's just get really malleable. Let's do that. And that was basically John's ministry. Uh, Super, super interesting historical moment. Some facts about John. You know that Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest person ever born of women, which if you think about it means the greatest person born ever. I'm just saying. Um... And, uh, and he, he was predicted by Isaiah the prophet that he would come. The reason they describe his dress, that he's dressed in camel hair and wore the leather belt and ate oca- locusts and wild honey, is because he's sort of the avatar of the prophet Elijah. It was kind of prophesied that before Jesus showed up, Elijah would return. And anybody who saw John would have thought about the old stories of Elijah the prophet. Because who was Elijah the prophet? If you know this incredible prophet of fire, that was his nickname, which gives you a hint. Um, And uh, he operated mostly out in the countryside, and he wore camel hair and this crazy leather belt, and he just kind of ate whatever. Uh, And so when they saw John, they would have automatically thought about Elijah. Um, And so seems like he's fulfilling that prophecy that Elijah would return and the spirit of Elijah would return uh, in this case. He was the cousin of Jesus, many of you know. Um, and you know that story before Jesus was born. Mary goes to tell uh, Elizabeth, John's mother, that she's expecting a child. And in Elizabeth's womb, John jumps. Even as a baby, John was like, I gotcha. Uh, we're going to do this, yo. Uh, he was, uh, John was just called a scene. He was part of a, a movement of monks that lived in caves out in the wilderness and did all sorts of cool things. They're actually very much like the monks that you think of in the Dark Ages. Uh, they would preserve scriptures and, and just live this crazy aesthetic life. And he was hardcore, but he was part of a movement that was hardcore. People that were trying to get ready basically, uh, is, is what it was. People think that Jesus might have been part of that movement, although I think that's pretty doubtful. Uh, the, the Pharisees hated John the Baptist because John had this huge revival, and the Pharisees were essentially a revival movement of the day, but they were a little more conservative, a little more political. They were like, what we need to do is get really, really serious about the law. We need to be really, really, really good Jews, and we are the experts on how to do that. That was the Pharisees. John was like, let's just all get forgiven. And let's just get ready for what the Lord is doing. And they hated John because he had a different message and because um, he was way more popular uh, than, than they were. He called out Jesus when Jesus showed up. He was the one who identified Jesus as, as the guy. Uh, he coined the phrase baptism of the Spirit. And uh, he was murdered uh, by Herod for being critical of uh, divorce and remarriage in Herod's family. So he got murdered in a really disgusting way. Uh, we won't go into that story. And it was only after he got murdered that Jesus, he got his head chopped off, only after he got executed that Jesus began his movement. You know why? Because Jesus assumed 
took over John's revival. People don't realize this, that Jesus just took over the revival that John had started. Uh, John's disciples, a good number of them, started following Jesus around. Uh, That's how that went down. Um, And so he was very much identified uh, with John. He benefited from John's momentum. John never performed a single miracle. Never did anything supernatural as far as we know. Um, John was all about access. Making access. Making a way preparing away confession forgiveness washing we'll just and let's just make it egalitarian there's no temple there's no priest we are in a muddy ditch out in the middle of nowhere anybody can come to god anytime but you got to get ready and you got to be hardcore because john was hard core all right i'm just trying to characterize uh, the situation this all-access revival that preceded uh, Jesus. And it was preparation for Jesus, but we've been studying the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus, when he showed up, said, and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So really what John was doing was preparation for kingdom come. That phrase, right? Preparation for when the kingdom comes. And then Jesus showed up and said, the kingdom has come. Right? Um, So... John was preparing for kingdom come, preparing people for kingdom come. And even Jesus submitted to that preparation. Verse 9, what we read. Even he went out and got dumped and said, yes, I too have made the way straight in me. All right, question. We'll start our application point. Why did Jesus need a herald? Why did Jesus need John? John was planned centuries before, we read in the Gospel of Isaiah. Speaking of John, John Yamamoto, why did Jesus need a herald? He needed someone to set an atmosphere, an attitude of repentance. We've studied that word repentance in this sermon series. It means to update your brain, to update your thinking. Metanoia, have a new thought. A higher, a transcendent thought. And, he, and Jesus needed someone to set that atmosphere. You think that's true? He was, an, he was an atmosphere shifter. And Jesus needed the atmosphere to be shifted before he showed up. Like an opening act, like a warm-up act. Jesus needed a warm-up act. Is that true? Jesus couldn't show up and do it by himself? Was that Amy? He made Jesus' ministry more efficient. I like that. I like that. Now, unpack it just a little bit, Amy. Efficient. Jesus only had so much time. Uh, and uh, so by assuming... To taking over John's work, he didn't have to start at the beginning, and that let him do more in the, in the short time that he had. There are all sorts of existential questions that come into that diagnosis, but, um, but certainly John made Jesus more efficient, and, and he didn't need to start from scratch. Mint? <laughs> Jesus needed John because John was prophesied. That's the way it is, Jordan. It's in the Bible. Yeah. Robin? There were 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus, and people were waiting, 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 maybe waiting so long that they forgot they were waiting. And so they needed somebody to come and wake them up in time to make sure they didn't miss the bus. Yeah, all really great answers. Uh, There had been a lot of false messiahs in that time as well, lots. And the false messiahships usually ended up really bloody, as it turns out. Here's what I think. All these are great answers. Here's my bottom line. You have the brilliant answer? All right, uh, one more. Yeah. 
Yeah. I didn't mention that, but John came from a priestly family. And, um, and so, in effect, John was a priest. He was just a circuit-riding priest <laughs> who did not serve in the temple. Sort of a disqualified priest, if you will, but still a priest. So he sort of played Aaron to Jesus as Moses. Um, those two were brothers. John and Jesus were cousins. But, yeah, uh, prophetically symbolic. All really, really good answers. But here's the insight that strikes me hard. Jesus, apparently, is easy to miss. The kingdom of God, the kingdom come, apparently, is easy to miss. And so, we needed a wake-up call or a, a prophecy fulfilled, which is an alarm bell ringing, or, or an atmosphere shifter. We needed something like that. We needed to be prepared. We needed to be warmed up. We needed to be in the blocks and you know, do our stretching or something. Otherwise, it's just too easy to miss the kingdom when it passes by. It's too easy to miss the opportunity. And if you think about Jesus' life, was that not a common theme in Jesus' life? Who caught Jesus' birth, which was prophesied, predicted hundreds of times in the Old Testament? Who caught it? A bunch of foreign magi, right? A bunch of Iranian wise men. Um, in effect, like nobody, everyone else misses it. Some shepherds, <laughs> some semi-homeless people that were alerted by angels, but everyone else missed it, you know. Um, did the Pharisees recognize Jesus? And they were the experts of the day. It's easy to miss, right? We miss the kingdom of God. So Jesus is easy to miss. Corollary, if you're not prepared, you will miss it. If you're not prepared, you will miss it because you're not all that, evidently. Uh, we're not all that. We needed John. Uh, we needed what John brought in order to receive what Jesus brought. And what did, what did, what did John bring? Well, you know, he brought, he brought repentance. He brought forgiveness. He brought all access. All of those things sound great um, as far as they go. He brought a sort of de-shaming movement, you know, sort of a de-religious movement which I think, you know, us being us, we kind of like. But the sobering truth is that, like, if you're not prepared, you would have missed the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire, you know. And it's not that you earn those things. It's not that it's hard to receive those things. It's just that it's easy to miss those things when they pass by. And I think that's, that's the message of the, of the herald, of the one who makes the way. You've got to bring the low places in your life up and the high places in your life down. What does that mean? I've been meditating on that this week. Do you have any low places in your life? Anybody feeling low? Anybody feel uh, sad? You know, grief-stricken, broken? Jeez, oh, Pete, I do. Well, you got to bring that up. How? I don't know. Fresh starts? You know, repentance, um, faith, atmosphere shifting, uh, the, all of these things that we're talking about. Got any high places in your life, things that you've made sacred that you really shouldn't make sacred? Grievances that you are nursing because somebody has offended you and it's just taking you off the path, you know? Probably not you guys, but you probably know people. Uh, may, maybe people that don't come anymore, right? Because uh, their high places have riveted their attention, um, you know, so uh, the, the sad part of that is that they might miss uh, what Jesus is bringing, the baptism of the Spirit in fire, uh, which he's bringing when he passes by, etc., etc. You get the idea, right? Uh, when the entourage comes rolling into town, we, we want the way to be level, flat, easy, and we want to be right there. That's, that's what we're talking about. So, are you prepared for the baptism? Are you prepared for the baptism of the Spirit? Yep. Are you prepared for the baptism of fire? Yep. Again, don't really know what that is, but it sounds awesome yep. uh, if, if, if you want it. What's required for your preparation, do you think? What does it mean for you to go out to the Jordan and uh, you know, have an encounter with the voice, the voice appointed by God. Uh, it's a 
do this. Um, if you need a rallying point, uh, we are doing this all-church retreat in a few weeks. And uh, we have this thing there called Spirit Night. I think, I think the Kona camp probably stole that from us. <laughs> like they do the Holy Spirit filling night. It's like, that's our thing. Um, and we're just going to have a time of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire. Again, don't know what that is, but we're going to do it. We're just going to call for it. Uh, we're going to be prophets of fire like Elijah. Um, and, uh, and we're just going to go for it. Now, if it's going to work, well, it may well work by grace, right? But it will probably work better if we're prepared. And so I just want to invite you into a season of preparation and to just kind of ask yourself and to cultivate preparation in your own life. What does it mean for you to lower the high places, raise the low places, to make straight the way uh, of the Lord? You need uh, to confess your sins. You need to repent. You need a fresh start. You need to let go of something. You need to fast. You need to disencumber. I don't know, but I would encourage you to do it. I think it would help you. Uh, the verse in Isaiah says, and together we have seen Right, the coming of the Lord. So it would help you, but it would also help the rest of the people standing around you. What do you need to do to prepare? There is an opportunity at hand. It's easy to miss, but there's a great opportunity at hand. There's a great opportunity because we are the people of God and we participate in a tradition. It's 2,000 years old. For us, it will be fresh and new perhaps, but it is an established way of doing things. Let's get ready. And Father God, I pray that we would be prepared. Speak to people. Let them hear the voice of preparation in their life. I'm just going to be quiet for a second and let the voice speak to you. Just close your eyes and envision yourself standing before the Lord. I thank you that you are a present God. I thank you that you are a gracious God. And I thank you that you are a God on the move. We wish to join in what you're doing for the rest of our lives. Change us a little bit. Disencumber us, O oh Lord and fill us with yourself. In Jesus' name, everybody says. Amen. Bless you. Have a blessed week. On the cusp, be salt and light. And I'll see you next week, 9 a.m.